Heroic Virtue and Temperance, brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. This episode begins a new mini-series focused upon the cardinal and theological virtues. We don't just want to meet the bare minimum, avoiding mortal sin, but actually strive for perfection. Heroic virtue is in fact a key criteria used by the Church in the process of canonization. Examining our interior life in light of temperance can reveal many areas for growth. Where thy treasure is, there is thy heart also. All this and more is discussed by Kevin Rorty in the 27th episode of Our Lady's Shock Troops. Praise be Jesus and Mary. I'm David Rodriguez, content director of the Fatima Center, joined once again by Kevin Rorty of Soka, Souls of the Christian Apostle. Kevin, good to see you again. Great to be here, David. Thanks. I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving weekend. People might still have some of that leftover turkey in the refrigerator. Yeah, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, too. It was. It was good. Uh, very calm one for me. No traveling this time around, just here at home. But it's certainly getting cold, and we're also getting ready for Advent. So Advent will begin tomorrow. Just like Advent starts a new liturgical year, we can start a new kind of series here on Our Lady Shock Troops dealing with the virtues, the, the cardinal virtues and the theological virtues based on your recommendation and examination conscience you sent me, Kevin. Sweet. Yeah, I think that'd be a great thing for people to consider. People wonder, what should I be doing during Advent time? They hear that it's supposed to be penitential, but they don't know what to do. So I think great topic for time. Yeah, so we'll get into that. But uh, as always, if you'll please uh, start us off with a prayer. Perfect. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Veni Sancte Spiritus, reple tuorum cora fidelium, etui moris in eis in emeshende. Emite spiritum tuum creabuntur. Et renovabis facem terne. Oremus, Deus qui cora fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, illustratione docuisti. Danobis in eodem spiritu recta sapere et eus semper consolatione gaudere. Per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Nomine Patris, Spirit, Spiritus Sancti, amen. So I have to say, Kevin, I was very impressed and really liked this particular document you sent me. So maybe I'll just let you and tell people a little bit about it so that they understand where it's coming from that we're going to be looking at here over the next few weeks, what its origins are. In a sense, I might just call it in a very generic way, an examination of conscience. Sure. Yeah. So we in Soka have this big booklet of spiritual examination that someone else really they helped make gave it to Soka to use, and they have this section called the Heroic Virtue Questionnaire. And so as everyone knows, to become a canonized saint, you, they have to recognize that you demonstrated heroic virtue, meaning virtue that goes beyond human capacity, a proof that God's supernatural strength and light and grace overwhelmed your being to go beyond what is merely humanly possible. So what we're going to go through is a questionnaire, a virtue, virtue questionnaire, supposed to be used by the Vatican. Whether or not it is, I'm not quite sure, but these are questions to ask regarding each of the four cardinal and three supernatural virtues that we can ask ourselves, not just to fit the bare minimum of did I commit a grave sin or not, and not even just the minimum of did I commit a venial sin or not, but am I actually striving for perfection? People wonder what that is. If it's not a mere negation of things, it's not just this happy-pappy, 
be a nice person thing that you hear a lot in the church today. <laughs> what is it? You know, so here we're going to go through a question you can ask yourself and hopefully it will challenge each one of us to really say, OK, this is the ideal to strive for in my life. How do I do that? No, sounds great. So, uh, well, one disclaimer, depending on how the video comes out, I'll be trying to mute myself. But with the cold coming, I've gotten a little bit under the weather. So my throat's not doing so well, so I might be coughing here and there, and I'll have to just put it on mute, or I might be drinking some water to ask our viewers for an indulgence regarding to that. And then one note I wanted to make, Kevin, just to follow up on what you said, I do think that's a very important note regarding sanctity, especially canonized saints. I think it's a common misconception among a lot of Catholics that when someone is canonized, that basically all we're saying is that they're in heaven. Now, that's already a huge thing, because ultimately that's everybody's goal, right? We all want to get to heaven. But canonization should be a lot more than just making an assertion that this or that person is in heaven. And as you've just stated, it means that after a very careful analysis, a really critical analysis, trying to debunk it at every turn, it's shown that this person lived heroic virtue, especially as regards to the duties of their particular state. So obviously, a priest has different duties than a bishop, than a religious, than a pope, than a father than a child. And so they should be living out heroic virtue as to those duties of their state, as well as exemplar, be be an example, be a model that we want to imitate with regard to their actions here on this earth. And also, if they had writings, their writings were free from error and actually inspire piety and devotion. So there's a lot more that goes into, you know, canonization process. And of course, you have to have bona fide miracles, things like that. So Sometimes we forget that because the process of canonization has been so altered today. Just wanted to throw that out there because I thought people might have that question since we brought it up. That's not the focus, so we'll we'll move on. And people can't comment or ask questions if they'd like. Maybe that's a topic to treat later on. The four cardinal virtues, right? And we call them the cardinal virtues because to distinguish them, I guess, primarily from the theological virtues, uh, the theological virtues, right, only being possible with the supernatural grace of God. Uh, the cardinal virtues are possible to some extent with just our own human power. We can even go back to the ancients like the Greeks and the Romans who looked up to emulated these four cardinal virtues. They certainly have a supernatural component to them as well, for which we require grace. But anyway, they are temperance, justice, fortitude, and prudence. And so I guess today we'll just start with temperance. And that's because for anyone who might download the document we're going to be talking about, this spiritual examination on the heroic virtue questionnaire, that that's the first one that comes up. So that's why we've chosen this one. And out of The Spiritual Life by Tan Curie, right? That's a great work for anyone to read if they're interested in one of The Spiritual Life. I'm on number 1099. Adolf Tanqueray. Uh, Tanqueray. Yeah. Thank you. I think some people might struggle with, well, just they might struggle with the, like what that word is, Tanqueray. So. Yeah, um, you know, you're right. Thank you. We always got to take that into consideration. I'm probably mispronouncing it too. So thank you. So here with Father writes regarding what temperance is, starting with the definition, number 1099, he writes, Temperance is a supernatural moral virtue that moderates the attraction towards sense pleasure, especially the pleasures of the palate and the flesh, and it keeps them within the proper limits of propriety. So he goes on to say those basic things that we need to live, which is eating, food, nourishing ourselves, and then also, obviously, procreation, so that the human race goes on. Uh, those are very powerful drives in us. They're drives that God has given us to be alive, and they can also get out of control. 
So temperance is meant to keep them within what is honorable and what is proper. With that understanding of temperance, any more comments or do you just want to dive into some of the questions? Well, I think coming back to what you're saying about the virtues, about the cardinal virtues, that they are at the outset natural, um, but then they, and they need to be ordered by prudence. So basically saying, okay, what is the right action, like you were saying, according to the adapted circumstances, in this case, in your state of life? So figuring out what temperance looks like for you would be probably different than a monk, you know, in the middle of Russia or something like that, right? So, yeah, these questions are particularly pertinent in that way. But these virtues at the same time, while they are natural as Christians and we're given the infused cardinal virtues or the infused, we're given an infusion of grace for them to be supernaturalized. So it's important to see how that all orients itself. So, well, if I could just, I mean, just to piggyback to make a real concrete point, I think people have heard this one, so it might make sense. If you haven't heard, it's good to hear. You know, what Kevin was saying, I think the prudence dominating this because, again, it affects your state of life. Every single one of us, no matter who we are, is called to live chastity. In fact, that's actually one of the main categories under temperance, as we just said I was described. But obviously, chastity is going to be very different if someone is, let's just say, five years old. You know, I've got kids at home. I've got a five-year-old, but I've also got a 17-year-old. And so there are differences in what they can approach, what they can talk about, even what modesty means. And then, of course, you could talk about, let's say, a young woman or a young man who is now, let's say, discerning and seeking to get married. Uh, there's going to be other things there, how they're living it out. Then there's someone like me who's actually married. I still have to be chased, but I live it out differently. And then, of course, a priest or religious who has taken a vow of celibacy they obviously are living it out differently. So everybody's got to live chastely, and that's even part of wearing our brown scapulars, this commitment to wear chastely, uh, to commitment to act chastely, to live chastely, to speak chastely, to dress you know, modestly. But it does vary a little bit depending on your circumstances. And we're going to find out with a lot of the other virtues, right? Exactly, yeah. So here are 13 questions to ask yourself. Some of them are generic, some of them are, you know, we'll, we'll dive into what these would look like heroically. So, one, do I deny my own will and mortify myself? Two, do I restrain anger? Three, do I suffer persecution with meekness and patience? Four, do I put too much importance on my own opinion? Five, do I minimize my intake of food and drink? Six, do I keep the fast of the church? Seven, do I indulge of long hours of sleep? Eight, is my bed uncomfortable or comfortable? Nine, am I anxious to be well-clothed and well-housed? Ten, do I give up the comforts of life? Eleven, do I mortify the senses? Twelve, do I love solitude and silence? Thirteen, am I modest? Okay, so uh, there's a lot we could cover with a lot of these. I'm going to highlight just a few of these, and that will lead us to some meditations on this topic. The first one, do I deny my own will and mortify myself? I would say that this is a really, this is different than how the pagans would look at it. Because the pagans would see temperance as just, well, you just don't have too much of these things because if you do, that's going to make you, in modern terms, less productive, less effective. Okay. Um, from a Christian standpoint, we go to the point of crucifying ourselves, not just self-mastery for the sake of accomplishing goals. And to be, you know, effective, but even more than that, in order to unite ourselves with Christ and to deny our own self-will internally. 
So a lot of people who might be able to have temperance externally, but they're not mortifying their will internally. In mortification, I think we've covered this before, but mortification means death, death to self in particular. So what are the ways you can bear little crosses dying to yourself? It's a really key spiritual insight into temperance, because if you can do that spiritually, physically, it's not going to be in many cases as hard, though, especially sins against the sixth and ninth commandment can be very difficult to overcome. So that's the first thing I would say is in this context of temperance, restraining our self-will is a key thing when we're aiming for heroic virtue. Yeah. Lot to add on, but I'll restrain myself right now. Maybe try to exercise some temperance. I really wanted to first just draw our attention to Fatima, to Our Lady Fatima and the Three Children, because I would say that this was one of the great lessons that they learned, and this really is central to the message of Fatima. So it's particularly important, I think, that we here at the Apostle would emphasize that. I've talked before about Roman Catholic SOS to remind us of the five main things that we're supposed to be doing to live the message, the R's for the rosary, the C's to consecrate yourself, pray for the consecration of Russia, the S is for the brown scapular, the O is to offer prayer and penance, and the last S is for First Saturday. But right now, in terms of this, I did want to emphasize that O, offer prayer and penance. Right? Our Lady asked the children if they would be willing to do that, that that is one of the things that God desired from them, to offer these small acts of reparation, but they were titanic, heroic sacrifices that I was looking, for example, at some little children. The other day I was at a beautiful church and some nuns brought in school children and they're singing songs to our Lord. It was very pretty to see and they're all these little children coming in. As I looked at them, you know, I was thinking, you know, they're about six maybe. And then in the church there's a beautiful statue of Our Lady Fatima with the three children there. And it just hit me in a, in a more profound way. Like, I seen that was six. She's the age of these little children. Like, does everyone, do you know a six-year-old? Maybe you have a six-year-old right now. Maybe you're a grandmother or a grandfather, just a six-year-old, a niece. I don't know. But, I mean, to think of a six-year-old or even an eight-year-old making these great acts of mortification, it is something. It is. It's pretty amazing. But if they could do it, and our Blessed Mother asked them to do it, we, we got to be called to that also. So it it's going to do a – we don't even understand, I think. I certainly don't understand how profound those acts are and what God can do with them. But there's a lot of conversion of sinners. There's a lot of reparation. There's so much good that can come if we're willing to mortify ourselves a little bit or more. But we often don't even think about it. So, I, yeah, I think this is a huge one, and it definitely will help us be more devoted to Our Lady. Take those thorns out of that are piercing her immaculate heart by our sins. Yeah, and, and I want to just point out the overall orientation of all this is if you think, okay, I'm orienting my soul toward divinization, participation in the life of God, it doesn't destroy human nature, but it elevates it. And we have tendencies to sin, proclivity to the flesh and things like that, that we have to go against. And in that effort of going against that, that is redemptive for other souls. Then it makes sense that where our mind, where our thoughts, where our desires are going to be are in more of the spiritual realm. So when it says things like, is my bed uncomfortable or comfortable? Am I anxious to be well-clothed or well-housed? Do I give up the comforts of life? Do I mortify the senses? Do I love solitude and silence? These are all indications of where our heart is. Because where our heart is, that is where our treasure is as well. Maybe vice versa. Either way. Uh, I think we got it. Yeah, yeah. That is what we're aiming for is this spiritual good. And so if you're occupied with that, just like if someone is occupied with some project, they're like hammering on a project, and they're so taken in with it, they forget to eat sometimes, you know? If you're that taken up, as the saints are with God, then you 
you're just not that concerned about these more sensual things, you know, and I'm not just talking about sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. I'm saying you don't have to have all the nicest stuff. You're just not that concerned. You're not that impressed by it either. You know, you're just like, whatever, like that doesn't really matter that much in comparison to eternity and the life of God and, and sanctity, you know, and sleep too. You're just like, you're almost like, I want to spend more time praying. I'm looking forward to that. That's when I have downtime. That's what I want. I want solitude because that gives me more occasion to be with God. I'm not attached to all these external stimuli that are going to keep me gratified or just occupied. You know, that's that's the life of an animal. We're trying to live the lives, you know, we're still human, but like the angels in a way. Yeah, no, and I was going to say that I think is huge right now, the, the stimuli. I think we're living in an age where we're constantly seeking to be distracted and we can be frustrated with certain aspects of our life or maybe a lot of aspects of our life. And so we also seek escape. And so instead of facing reality or facing the cross, like you say, people are trying to escape. And there's all kinds of especially, let's say, digital or electronic entertainment that one can rely on, whether it's movies, video games, music, what have you, or just swiping the phone. Uh, There's a lot of distraction that doesn't allow one to be recollected. A lot of that external stimuli that we often use to, again, avoid our duty or just to remain distracted as opposed to seeking any kind of real relationship. Sometimes even, I mean, obviously with God, but even just with others. So I think that's where temperance can really help us in limiting. And it's needed more now, I think, today than ever before. And also, I mean, just in that first line, I want to get back. It says, you know, the question was, do I deny my own will and mortify myself? I think a lot of times when we think of mortification, we immediately do think of, let's say, more physical denials, you know, let's say food or, or even the characteristic, you know, where the sackcloth and ashes kind of thing. But mortifying our will is also very important because ultimately sin is in the will. And we all have this great streak of pride and selfishness to us and ego. That's kind of the root of our sin fundamentally, our pride. And so we constantly have to be mortifying our own will. Uh, if we don't fight against our will and try to mortify it, then we're not going to go into spiritual life. But but that's not easy. That's a big challenge. So I think we can always examine our conscience at that level of how much are are we mortifying our will. And the very relationships we have, whatever, again, our duty is, if you're a father and a husband, then those relationships are going to force you to mortify your will. They will. I mean, if you if you go along with it, you might resist it, and then your selfishness and your sin comes out. But whatever it is that you find your state of life and the relationships that you're in, God you know, is arranging things so that if we cooperate with his will and embrace the cross, we are going to have to mortify our will. That There's just no way around it. And not enough people talk about that. You know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Catholic faith. And this sort of even shows the truth of the Catholic faith above all other false religions is this emphasis on, you know, really rooting out that pride and sinfulness by combating our, by mortifying our will. Yeah, the last thing I would say about this is that I think the question, do I put too much importance on my own opinion, I think is a very important one for more devout Catholics today. Because the tendency of feeling, you know, we've been rejected, we're the outcasts, can sometimes lead to a puffing up. That, that it takes so much, you know, internal receptivity to God and humility in those times to stick with what is true and not get this chip on your shoulder that, oh, well, screw those people. Like, I don't, you know, we're better than them or my opinion's way more important than them. And then that's where strife comes in and interpersonal issues, all that stuff. So I think that on the one hand, we shouldn't be these cowering, like afraid to make 
judgments, not about people's damnation, but about just matters of truth. Constantly be afraid. That's not what we should be, but we also shouldn't be this towering, I know better and uh, the proud, this comes, the proud tone that often can come, come off. A lot of that, I think, has to do with, again, prudence and understanding people are different situations, right? Like you're saying, I mean, take a strong stance, study your faith, learn your faith well, and you know you're doing what you're doing, hopefully, because you want to glorify God and save your soul for the honor of holding the church. But at the same time, you realize that your situation might be different than another person's situation. And so you're called to sometimes act differently, and other people might make different choices. It doesn't mean you have to... A lot of times it's because you're insecure that you want them to make the same choice you did. That's a really good point. No, I think there's a lot of great examples. I'll give you one that I was just dealing with recently, and hopefully people can see how it's different. There was uh, so a friend who's got a sister who's living in a um, relationship that violates God's commandments. So it's not good. So then the question becomes, like, how do you deal with it? You know, actually, we were just uh, recently at the family conference, and, and we get questions like this. You know, parents even asking things like, my child has chosen to live this unnatural vice lifestyle. You know, I've had to kick them out of the house. They're 22 years old. Did I do the right thing? How do I interact with them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these questions that come up, right? Well, I would simply say it obviously depends on the sin also. But, for example, parents might be able to interact with their child one way. Brothers and sisters might interact another way. If there's a brother, for example, who's got young children, they might have to interact differently with this person because their primary responsibility is I'm a dad. And I've got to watch out for my children, not scandalize them. And if I bring them over and they witness this quote unquote lifestyle and think it's okay, then am I harming my own children? So I have this responsibility. So I may have to act differently, but maybe another sibling is single, firm in their Catholic faith, can really reach out to the, the one in a sinful lifestyle to try to help them. So you know, they might do it, engage them differently. It doesn't mean that we have to sort of say, this is my stance. And if you don't act exactly the way I'm acting, you know, I condemn you. That That's even with your opinions, you've got to evaluate, you've got to use prudence. And, and things can be very different. And we don't often take, I think, the time to sufficiently reflect upon that and really prayerfully discern it. Uh, again, are we mortifying our own will? Are we, as you said, too stuck on our own opinions? Those are great ways to really um, examine our conscience as well as just, I mean, the one that hit me, too, is do I restrain anger? <laughs> That's a great one, right? How yeah. I'm restraining my anger. So there's there's very good questions there that uh, we could spend more time just sort of discussing those. But I think those are fascinating that these are questions that they ask in the process of trying to consider canonization for someone. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, the last one is, uh, do I suffer persecution with meekness and patience? I think, you know, these are all extremely important for the times we live in in the church right now. Because that sort of witness is what will draw souls, you know, the soul of the apostle talks about the unction of the spirit. You have that unction that permeates and others can just sense there's something interior about the faith that you're presenting. That's what will convert souls in the times you're heading into, especially if you handle that persecution well. So, Honestly, if you're following Christ and you're following him well, uh, you will endure persecution, right? You have to know no servant, no disciple is greater than the master. And he was certainly persecuted so we're, we're going to get persecuted. Um, many of us maybe already have been persecuted. There's more persecution coming. So we have to, we certainly have to be ready for it, but we have to embrace it and suffer it well. So persecution is part of the Christian lifestyle. And the real question is, how do we handle it? Do we unite it to Christ on his suffering? And, and that's never easy. So more ways that we can examine our conscience. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess uh, maybe next week, we'll, or next couple of weeks, we'll be able to handle fortitude. Sounds great. All right, let's go ahead and close with a Hail Mary.
name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great couple weeks. Thanks, David. Likewise. God bless. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the glory of God and salvation of souls. St. Ambrose, pray for us.